Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name is Brent. And this episode, we're discussing SST 101, the Tar Babies record, Fried Milk. It's our first Tar Babies LP. I can't even, I don't even think that we've had the Tar Babies on before on like a comp brand that Never. I can recall. Have we? Never. So this is, this is, uh, our first foray into the Tar Babies, and we've got a special guest, Brent. Yeah, Bucky Pope's on the podcast today. Woo, that's a big deal, because there's not a lot out there on the Tar Babies, and it was great to get like a first-hand account from Bucky. Yeah, it was great having him, so uh, thanks to Bucky for doing it. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see whether this is more of a Brant record or more of a Ryan record. I kind of feel like... My guess is you and I are probably right in the middle on this record. Probably. Like, not mega fans, but definitely appreciate and like it. Yep. But um, let's see where we go. Do you want to... Uh, oh, wait. Before I even throw it over to you for spiels, I want to ask you, did you ever find anything about um, that Jack and Dino band, that new Jack and Dino band? Still working on that one. What? Yeah, I'm still working on it. <laughs> So two episodes ago, you were just blabbing about this amazing super group with Jack and Dino in it. And, oh, they've got a thing. They played shows, blah, blah, blah. And you got nothing? I got nothing. I don't think Van Connor's in the band, though. Oh, I, are I'm you, waiting for are you. Are you still I'm interested? Wait, I'm, I'm waiting for you to say, don't quote me on that. But don't quote me on that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, well, look, I've only got a micro spiel to start off. And... I thought it actually kind of made sense to to mention this on a Tar Babies episode, actually, and it'll make more sense once we get more into the into the show here. But um, there's a new book out that I thought you would be interested in, Brent, and I bet you some of our listeners would, notwithstanding what this guy's doing nowadays. But Flea has got a new book, mm -hmm. and it's called Acid for the Children. I mean, it'll definitely have a lot of stuff in it on uh, like the LA punk scene. I haven't started reading it yet. I'm still reading that Greg Prado book on Soundgarden, which is really good, by the way. Oh, good. Um, yeah, I actually, you know, we mentioned before that Greg kind of cranks out a lot of books, and so they can be of varying quality, but this Soundgarden book so far, I'm about halfway through, it's good. Part of the thing that I really like about it is Kim Thale is so quotable. Mm-hmm. He's, he's definitely got like a gift for words and is very quotable. But this Flea book, getting back to that, I mean, Flea's funky, right? And so are the Tar Babies. It's so I, th I thought I would mention it for this show. Actually, I was going to pick that up because I thought it, it would be good. And I read some reviews that say it's mostly just covers his childhood. It doesn't really go that deep into into the chili peppers well anthony's book did that yeah and maybe that's why flea didn't go into it that much maybe i have a spiel for you about a book one that Please. i'm one that i'm reading that that i'm i'm really enjoying i haven't read a rock book i enjoyed a rock book like i'm enjoying this one in a really long time it's steve gorman from the the drummer from the black crows oh yeah that'd be good it's called hard to handle and i mean like you know, well, just like you have, I've read a zillion of these kinds of books. And honestly, I don't think I have ever read a book with this level of dysfunction 
in it. Like, obviously, everyone knows the Robinson brothers don't get along, but it's truly, in, like, worse than you thought. <laughs> <laughs> and it's good. Yeah, it's really good, man. As a result? Jeez. Yeah. But, I mean, like, and apparently the Black Crows are getting back together, which, when you read this book, is hard to fathom. Steve Gorman's been doing the rounds with interviews, and I've read a few, a few with him, and he's been on some podcasts and stuff. He's not going to be in this reunion if it happens it's just a rumor right now it's not confirmed but it's the 30th anniversary of shake your money maker oh yeah steve's basically said it's for the paycheck and that he's not he's not playing which is unfortunate because he's a founding member and you know was was with the band the whole time but uh it's hard to believe that rich and chris can would be able to do it for any amount of money but you know i guess chris's band uh the Chris Robinson Brotherhood might be up in the air a little bit. They were supposed to, they had already announced a a hiatus. And then unfortunately their guitar player, who was also a founding member of that band, Neil Cassell, uh, took his own life in August. So, and that's too bad. He was an amazing guitar player. He played with on a bunch of Ryan. He was in Ryan Adams uh, band, the Cardinals. And he's probably got close to a dozen solo albums and, played with everybody like Phil Lesh from the Grateful Dead and stuff. So pretty sad to lose him. Seemed like a really nice guy too, but, uh, and they put out an album this year. That's really good. And so did Rich put out, uh, the second studio studio album with the Magpie Salute, which is also really good. So we'll see what happens, but it's a great book. Hard to handle Steve Gorman. So what is, what's an example of how dysfunctional the brothers were? Like what's, what sticks out? What oh, was the just big... like fist fights every sound check. Just you <laughs> name it, man. They can't like, they're just lunatics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, like those Oasis guys. Or yeah. Whatever. They're like that. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Okay. I have a recommend for you too. Music, music wise. Do you know who Matt, do you know who Nat Friedberg is, Ryan? Did you say Matt? I might've said Matt, but I meant Nat. I don't. Okay. So Nat, he first came on my radar uh, through a band called the Titanics. Someone recommended him to me in a record store. Actually, one day a friend of mine held up this, this record and said, you need to buy this. This is awesome. And it was a guy who made plenty of good recommends to me. So I just grabbed it. It's a self-titled album that came out in 1989 on Tang Records. It's just awesome. And that's how this guy Nat first came on my radar. He's from Boston. Uh, He's fronted a zillion great punk bands and hard rock bands. You might know him, Ryan, because he played on a homestead band called The Flies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course. They kind of have like a, they almost sound like Gas Huffer to me or something like that. Yeah, maybe. They were also on that comp that I'm sure we've mentioned called Bands That Could Be God, which was, I believe, assembled by Gerard Cosloy, if I'm not mistaken. It was. And Nat also, here's a band I'm pretty sure we've mentioned on the podcast before, was the main singer-songwriter in uh, the awesome Boston band, The Upper Crust. Oh, yeah. Do you know those guys? I do. I never really got into them, though. Well, I love them. They're trying to sound like Bon Scott era ACDC, but they dress up like French aristocrats or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like 
complete with powdered wigs and pantaloons and they play songs like Let Them Eat Rock and uh, Rock and Roll Butler and Little Lord, Lord Fauntleroy. That's Nat Friedberg. He also had a really cool one-off band called The Satanics. They did an album called Speak of the Devil. Came out in the 90s on this record label called Limited Potential Records. Also kind of a shticky band like The Upper Crust. While he's got a new band that put out an album this year called... The band's called Freeloader. And the album's called The Path of Least, Least Resistance. And he also put out his, his debut solo album called Better Late Than Never, both on this really cool label called Rumbar Records. And you can hear that Rumbar has a Bandcamp page, and also he has a Bandcamp page, uh, natfriedberg.bandcamp.com, and he's got a bunch of demos up there. He's got demos for that album The Flies did on Homestead. He's got oh, cool. demos of that, that entire Titanics album that I mentioned. That Satanics record is up there on the Bandcamp. Check it out. It's not really SST related, but I don't know. I really, I really dig what he does, and he's not a guy that gets a lot of kudos. So check it out. Check out the band The Titanics. The first song on the album. It's on those demos, but it's way later in the album. But it's called "Drag You Down to My Level," and it's just such a kick-ass song. Okay, I'm on it. That sounds good. Let's get into some Tar Babies, Ryan. Let's do it. History Lesson, Part 1. All right, all right. So we've got Bucky Pope, and he gives a very good account of the Tar Babies, what they were like, what it was like around this album. But as with every band that we kind of hit for the first time, we'll do a bit of a, a deeper dive into the History Lesson to kind of go way, way back. You know, even though Bucky covers some of this, we'll kind of, I'll try and lay it out in a bit of a sequential order here and let you know what I was able to find out. Tar Babies were from Madison, Wisconsin. The original lineup had Bucky on guitar, guy named Jeremy Davies on vocals, Robin Davies on bass, and Dan Bitney on drums. Now, that's the original lineup of Tar Babies, but they were all in a couple of bands before then. The uh, first of the two bands that are worth mentioning is one called Mecht Mensch. And this uh, Mecht Mensch actually is German for mechanical man. That was uh, a band that Jeremy was in on bass and Dan Bitney was in on guitar, I believe. They only released one official 7-inch called Acceptance. And they're basically a hardcore band, like for sure. There's a great Maximum Rock and Roll article, though, from 2009. You can find it online, thankfully. The uh, the author of this article is Hubs, H-U-B-B-S. Okay. And this, guy, this author, Hubs, walks us through kind of the, the history of Mecht Mensch, but uh, just notes a number of compilations that they were on. They were on this one called... Uh, the Master Tape, Volume 2, a double LP comp, and Tar Babies are on that as well. The uh, the We Got Power zine, they put out a compilation, Party or Go Home. And I've actually got that on CD. It has 60 bands on it. It was put out on Mystic. Just listen to some of the bands on here. It has JFA, White Flag, 
let's see, Tar Babies are on it, Mechtmensch, AOD, The Big Boys, Sin 34, Minuteman, Daglo Abortions, uh, let's see, Seven Seconds, The Micronauts, Swa, Brant, Swa is on wow. this comp. I've definitely, so, I've, I, may, I might have heard them, but I, I don't think I have heard Mechtmensch, but I've heard that name mentioned so many times so they must they yeah. must have been one of the better hardcore bands maybe a midwest hardcore band that definitely had a reputation in addition to th- those two comps they are also on a, a cassette called america's Dairyland with a band called bloody mattresses which we'll talk about in a sec another compilation tape called meat house they were also on the Barefoot and Pregnant compilation brand put out by Reflex Records. Yeah, we've talked about that before. I think yeah. America's Dairyland, is that associated with Butthole Surfers, or am I thinking of a different comp? Mm, didn't ring. Maybe. Maybe. I better look that up. Hang on a sec it's here. Prob- God, I'm yeah. probably thinking of the Cottage Cheese one. There's a comp with Cottage I'm I'm getting my dairy products. <laughs> oh no way okay so anyways um jeremy and dan played in this band and uh we should also mention too while we're on it with dan bitney he went on to play in a very a very famous indie band called tortoise you're probably Um, a tortoise uh, fan hey me yeah uh you'd think so but they never really grabbed me i don't know you'd think so though i mean that's uh that's an honest mistake on your part for sure (laughs) So are they still a band, though? Like, do you know? Tortoise? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, actually. I've never really followed them. Me neither. I don't know. I never, and I've, I've never followed them either. And I tried. I tried to get into them, and every few years it's kind of like, eh, not really. I don't um, know anyways, anything about Tortoise. Yeah, I mean, kind of a lot of uh, instro, instro tunes. Okay. They're very instro band. Um, here's a quote from the Flex books on Mech Mensch. They are referred to as a, quote, tight, complex, angular, Midwest hardcore in the style of early Dekreutzen or a gloomier version of Articles of Faith. Hmm. That's what Flex book calls Mech Mensch. They also put out a split cassette with the Tar Babies, and we'll get to that a little bit more in a moment. Gloomier version of Articles of Faith. Yeah. Hmm. Now, the next band that I mentioned, also on the America's Dairyland comp tape, not the Cottage Cheese one brand, (laughs) is uh, a band called Bloody Mattresses. And that's a band that Bucky Pope was in with Robin Davies. And uh, this America's Dairyland comp tape was on Last Rites record. It also had Mechtmensch and DeKreutzen on it as well. So they all came up in these punk bands and eventually form the Tar Babies. Now, before we get into Tar Babies, we should actually, uh, I just wanted to mention quickly because I was like, I know that story of the Tar Baby. And it's actually part of these Uncle Remus stories published in the late 1800s. The Tar Babies, or the Tar Baby story is about a doll made out of tar and turpentine used by the villainous Briar Fox. Mm. And the more that Briar Rabbit Fights the tar baby, the more entangled he becomes. And you, and if I don't know, if people are like my age, you probably remember seeing this as some sort of Disney thing when, when you're did, a kid. When did Frank Zappa get involved? 
<laughs> with Uncle Remus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Very, very nice. By the way, uh, George Duke does a killer version of Uncle Remus as well, too, on his solo records. Anyways, in uh, modern usage, the tar baby refers to like a, pro- a problematic situation that is only aggravated by additional involvement in it. So hmm. it's probably a few tar babies uh, in our lives. Anyways, this original lineup that we spoke about, the four piece, they recorded the Face the Music 12 inch because they put out a couple of releases before this Fried Milk LP. They did that split tape. Um, then they did this Face the Music 12 inch on Bone Air Records. And also our Respect Your Nightmares 12-inch, also on Bone Air. Those are in, from 83 and 85, respectively. I think so, uh, the Bone Air label was like their label. It Yes, it was. And I was looking at a bunch of posters, and a lot of the early punk shows around there were presented by Bone Air. So they were promoting shows, too. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. These two 12-inches are compiled from the sessions produced by Butch Vig and Bob Mould that Bucky Pope talks about in the interview. Isn't that awesome? Oh, yeah. For sure. And, you know, when he when he uh, mentioned Butch Vig and was talking about Smart Studios, it's a, it's a good reminder for folks to check out that Smart Studios documentary. I don't know if you've seen that one yet, Brent, but it's really good. I wonder if the Tar Babies are mentioned in it or interviewed. I don't remember, actually. I watched it like six months ago, maybe even longer than that when it came out. I better check that out. Both of these 12 inches were collected on a CD in 2005 on Lexicon Devil Records from Australia. The CD includes extra tracks from some of these comps that I mentioned earlier right. when discussing Mench. So it's a good uh, comp of both of those 12 inches to check that out i mean did you listen to any of it oh well i have one of the 12 inches i've got the face the music one i don't have the respect your nightmares one so uh, when i was researching the show and i saw that this cd existed i ordered it and so uh, i'll check it out i kind of you know i checked out a few on youtube but i'm gonna wait till i get the record or the cd i guess and listen to it then in 1987 sst released this lp and that's covered in the interview. It was recorded um, after Jeremy left the band. And uh, before we get into the interview, though, I should mention a few other things. They they did end up putting out two more LPs, which we'll get to way down the line. SST-169 is the No Contest LP. Mm-hmm. SST-236 is the Honeybubble LP. And then they put out a CD on Sonic Noise some years later on Death Trip Records. Or, sorry, they put out a, an LP called Death Trip on Sonic Noise Records. And then recently, we actually mentioned this a number of episodes ago, and it's mentioned in the interview, Bucky was on a, a recent 7-inch put out on Org Records by a band called The Tone Scientists with Mike Watt in it. Bucky also plays in... Or, or, or has put out music after the Tar Babies in his uh, band Negative Example, and also with Robin Davies in a band called The Bar Tabbies. I haven't heard that, but I checked out a lot of the Negative Example stuff. They have a Bandcamp page. Yeah, 
It's pretty decent. I like it, yeah. Yeah, it's decent. Here's some more quotes that I found. Now, I should mention, too, we mentioned this book on the on the podcast every now and then, Andrew Earle's book, Gimme Indie Rock, 500 Essential American Underground Rock Albums from 1981 to 1996. Excellent book. You should pick it up. Does not mention Tar Babies at all, hmm. which is a bit of a miss there, if you ask me. Like, I'm not the biggest Tar Babies fan, but their records are good. At least one of their records should have made it in there, and probably Fried Milk, in fact. Ira Robbins, in the Trouser Press books, he mentions um, Tar Babies and covers them pretty good. His quote about Bucky's guitar playing, and Bucky's guitar playing is very unique. You it know, he's got, yeah. he's got his own kind of style, which is very cool. And I thought Ira's description was very apt. He calls it a lunging, hard, psych quality that separated the Tar Babies from their brethren, calling it a choppy, neo-funk, and primal, psych-punk trash hmm. with elements of the big boys, Minutemen, and Meat Puppets. And I think that that's pretty darn close. Yep. When I was researching all this, too, Ira Robbins had kind of the first mention of the band Old Skull Brand. Remember them? <laughs> I sure do. I have their cassette tape. Get out of school? Yeah, I have it. Yeah. So one of the members of Old Skull, Jesse Collins Davies, was Robin Davies' stepson. Oh, nice. From the Tar Babies. So there's a Tar Babies connection with Old Skull Brand. Sweet. Yeah. thought you'd like that one. <laughs> um. You probably wore that cassette out, hey? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember, like in Canada here, our version of MTV is much music, and I remember late on Friday nights when they had, like, the punk or alternative shows, they'd whip out that old skull uh, video for, I think it's Homeless, is the song? <laughs> I is know that the you, song? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, help, uh, the is it help the Homeless or something, he's screaming. I can't remember. I don't know what it is, but they were like, you know, these kids playing in a punk band and they were, you know, kind of political too, I guess. There is a website out there too on Tar Babies, tarbabies.us. It looks like someone started to do a Tar Babies website, but it has lots of gig posters, has a, a page on Mech Mensch. And then um, leave it up to Joe Carducci to probably pull off the best content that I could find on Tar Babies in Rockin' the Pop Narcotic. He's got a couple of great sections on the Tar Babies, or great mentions, I should say. There's one section where he mentions Tar Babies, and he lumps them into a, quote, list of interesting to great bands. So he's including Tar Babies in this, um, in this mention, along with Flipper, Toiling Midgets, Angst, The Dicks, Descendants, Bottle Surfers, Mission of Burma, Effigies, Oil Tasters, that band from Thermidor, The Replacements, right. Girls, Minor Threat, Dead Kennedys, DOA, Fang, Bad Brains, and The Blackouts uh, from Seattle. So Joe definitely thought a lot of the Tar Babies. And check out this quote from Joe on the Tar Babies. He says, now we mentioned that the Tar Babies are kind of funky, right. and we'll get into that. Here's what Joe said about the Tar Babies. Here's another band that has improved over the course of their early years and found a musical voice of its own. 
drummer Dan Bitney and bassist Robin Davies fluently speak a Creole of funk and rock, and their arrangements glide back and forth between sources. Jumping in on this is guitarist, vocalist Bucky Pope's liquid mix of Hendrixian coloring and Brownian chuck. Solos, solos per se, are rare. Instead, the action of soloing is within the active coloration of the chord chucking and melody lines. Bucky's vocals are dry and delivered in a kind of scat throwaway style, which was which has translated less well on disc. Hmm. Uh, he also mentions intermittently Tony Jarvis has played sax with the band live and in the studio from 88 to 92. Steve Lewis played bass with a harder funk style while Davies ruthlessly <laughs> exploited his nine-year-old in a pre-pube <laughs> shags scam called Old Skull. <laughs> but now he's back to a band that has been opening up its sound in psychedelic and jazz directions. And then there's one other quote here from, uh, from Joe. Uh, so now this is the funk part. So Joe's talking about like, funky bands right he's going neo mofo is not a salvageable genre per se its most prominent exponents are the red hot chili peppers and fishbone two of the most concise demonstrations that chops plus jumping around don't equal music of any conviction or power hmm. neither display an ounce of musical sincerity unlike such chopmeisters of the past as rush or the Dixie Dregs. Bill Stevenson described Fishbone to me as being like having a band with seven Zappas. Yeah, uh, okay, leave me alone. And then Joe says this, the hardest white funk comes by way of the Tar Babies, but they have such a primary musical voice with so much going on in it that they simply don't fit any genre. Wow. Joe definitely gives it up for the Tar Babies, I would say. Lots of people do, man. Uh, I've got lots of reviews of this record, and they're all really good. Yeah. Two things I want to mention here before we cut to the interview. Uh, one thing I should put on the record is after the interview, after I was done the interview with Bucky, he messaged me again, kind of regretting that he didn't talk more about the album Death Trip, their final record. He really feels strongly that that's their their masterpiece so i should put that out there on uh, on bucky's behalf because he he didn't get that into the interview the other thing i just wanted to do is read this really cool uh bio that bucky sent me like you know uh, your classic sst bio it's got contact Ray Farrell slash michael whitaker at the top i'm assuming it was probably michael whitaker that wrote this I think he was often ta tasked with writing these kinds of things. So I'm not going to read all of it, but I'll start kind of halfway down here. Consisting of three friends who have been playing together since 1981, the Tar Babies are Daniel, are Daniel J.B. on drums and vocals, Frank Buckley Pope, guitar and vocals, and Robin Davies, bass and vocals. Left to their own devices in Madison without people telling them, hey, you can't mix funk and punk or 
man, you got to have a record company put out your record. You can't do it yourselves. The band began putting out records for fun on their own Bone Air record label. The band on record resembled an out-of-control shopping cart hurtling pell-mell through the various aisles of blues, punk, hard rock, and funk, smashing the contents of one aisle into the other, picking something off one shelf only to return it to the wrong one. In short, the Tar Babies were creating their own brand of music that was uniquely their own. The Tar Babies' new record, Fried Milk, and their planned tour of the United States will bring a little bit of Madison to the rest of the world. You have been forewarned. The Tar Babies have gotten a lot of reaction from the press with their sty stylistically diverse monster sound. There you go. And then it's got a list of their discography and some quotes. You want to throw it over to Bucky Pope? Let's do it. All right. We're joined on the podcast today by Bucky Pope. Bucky, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good. I'm doing great. So we're talking about the Tar Babies and specifically the album Fried Milk, but I'm wondering if you can take me back to uh, growing up in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm, I'm assuming that's where you and all of the band members generally grew up and met each other. Yeah, well, I moved to uh, Madison from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania when I was 14. Okay. So I started high school and met Robin, who was a freshman at the UW, through somebody I met through skateboarding, mm -hmm. um, and was also getting, you know, sort of, sort of starting to know some punkers in, like, my sophomore year, their junior year, and, um, you know, not to complicate things, but Robin's brother had to move back from Sweden, or Switzerland, I always get the two confused, I did that on stage. <laughs> in switzerland <laughs> but anyway um yes he got kicked out of the country for selling acid up a spicy bit of the story uh -huh. but he had been friends with those other west high school guys that i hadn't quite met yet and one of them was uh dan bitney and uh robin and i had been in the bloody mattresses the summer before it lasted all six months but we opened up for Black Flag and Minor Threat oh, wow. during that time. And uh, the other guys started a, a band with Dan on guitar. And then after a few months of Robin and I not being in a band anymore, Bloody Mattresses split up. We um, got Dan to play drums. And he was just kind of a, you know, really a talented musician. He's multi-instrumental. He's in Tortoise now. Right where he plays multiple instruments. He started playing drums with us and became an excellent drummer in about another six months. So. Mm -hmm. Now, when you moved to Madison... And that was like a 1980, fall of 1982. Okay. So when you moved out there, were you a punk rock guy already? No, I wasn't. Um, I was a rocker. I gravitated towards... That, that movie Days and Confused totally reminds me of my life <laughs> because my sister, uh, she dated, you know, juvenile delinquents. And, um, you know, I went from Beatles to Nugent and, uh, you know, ACDC. Right. I never got into like um, whatever, like the German metal groups mm -hmm. or anything like like um 
based off scorpions and UFO and stuff. But anyway, I think Ian Mackay said the same thing. Like until punk came along, Nugent and Aerosmith were the only aggressive right. music. Um, and so Robin kind of led the way into punk. I, I remember I had had to cut my hair off. Sort of, um, I got pressured to just a, a month or so after hanging around with those guys. You said you met them through skateboarding. Yeah, pretty much. Um, there was a, they call it was called the ice cream shops down the street from West High School, and you know it had pinball and jukebox and asteroids, and I skipped school a lot down there, and. This one day I saw this guy uh, who turned out to be Larry Hitch with a skateboard with him, and I'd actually sort of drifted away from skating. I was a, a ramp skater when I was, you know, 11, okay. 12 years old. But somehow, like, my skating friends, maybe uh, when I moved. But I noticed a skateboard, and we talked, and he actually took me to Robin's house that day. And... You know, I saw the Buzzcocks records, and, and you know, Robin had even Adam and the Ants wasn't even uncool yet. Right. And so this was maybe pre-hardcore stuff you guys were were getting into. Yeah, yeah. I mean, back in the summer of '81, at least in the Midwest, for the most part, because I don't think I was into punk that much in 1980. Mm-hmm. But the punk bands in town were usually college students that were real fringe people, you know, kind of like probably like a New York scene. Yeah. And everybody was doing like completely off kilter, new wave punk type stuff. And we were going to the shows because we, you know, knew about them and we were younger. And yeah, we were then influenced by Black Flag and, you know, and uh, Minor Threat and actual hardcore. I think our first stuff, I think actually um, with the Bloody Mattresses, the first thing that we learned was the whole side of group sex, of the songs that all run together. First side of that record just goes nonstop for about 12 minutes. But anyway, we were pretty impressionable, and so, but we were around in the pre-hardcore days. So, who were the those big first and second wave punk bands in Madison, like the local ones? Um, well, there were Genie, Mike, and Dan were a were two of the guys from Killdozer, mm-hmm. and I don't know if she's Japanese American or Japanese, but uh, Genie was this. Uh, college students as Dan and Mike were at the UW at the time and they played like Archie's covers and um, some originals like one of the bizarre ones was I'm a cleft palate with just Mike <laughs> Gerald just singing that over and over again they did like Batman and you know stuff like that they were great mm-hmm. the appliances which became appliances SFB were um, super tight and super creepy and energetic and probably like the, to me, the most powerful music, them and 
I suppose, decroising. It came out of the area, mm-hmm. but I don't think the appliances were ever known on either coast, really. I don't think they, they toured minimally. Did the bloody mattresses do any touring? Uh, no, no. You know, that was, I'll tell it quick, the the guys that I was hanging out with my the first fall that I lived in Madison, which was 79, so I guess by the next year, they, they were burglarizing places. No. <laughs> it's such a rock and roll sounding thing because they ripped off a music store and stole a bunch of equipment and then sold it to my new skate friends <laughs> who, you know, the bass player had never played bass. Um, you know, our first drummer name, named the band Black Mattresses never could play drums, but we got somebody pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So that was um, the bloody mattresses, and you know we did Circle Jerks covers and Black Flag covers and a few originals. And then those two of the bassist and drummer, Rob and I got tired of hitchhiking out to Mount Horeb, which is about 17 miles outside of Madison, and that's where we rehearsed. Okay. So we quit, you know. So it was like a spring, a summer, and a fall. So and those guys became Imminent Attack, which was a beloved punk metal band around here for a long time. By the time you and Robin decide to start something different, are you having a conversation about, you know, going in a different direction musically when you start the Tower Babies? Well, I think I was still pretty much playing with a big muff mm-hmm. or some kind of distortion box on my guitar with maybe some, you know some other facts, but still a, you know, a very crunchy power chord oriented sort of thing. I mean, we really were, we made our first recording in 1983, Mm -hmm. maybe in the spring. And it's just big muff, you know, I, we have a 21 second song. Right. We were all, already influenced by the hardcore bands. We were going Right. So when you mo- kind of morphed into the, you know, out of that into what you started doing around the fried milk era, you know, from your first two EPs, how did that happen? Was were other influences starting to come into the band? I think that. I remember a seminal moment when I was at a, I don't know when this really comes up, but I was at a party and they were just listening to hot rocks over and over again. Okay. Like somebody had a cassette that they were just flipping. Like the stones. You and mean? I started, I, I started uh, listening to the stones a lot and um, just reflecting that music could be so fun right. and um, rather than so angry. So you know, there's that, and there's uh, the Minutemen, yeah. hugely, um, and the Meat Puppets, and Sacred Trust. Um, and I love Black Flag. Uh, but I'm assuming all those bands came through Madison? Eventually. The Minutemen only played here once. Uh, Sacred was opening up for Black Flag a lot, mm-hmm. you know, in like 84, 85, 86. But yeah, just, you know, using the guitar differently. I started playing clean and yeah, sort of morphing into the style that I still play. 
uh, hearing those early SST bands, they they were really impressive to me. But they were also, you know, maybe why they were impressive. But they they all seemed to be doing stepping out on a on a limb musically, but still being uh, infectious to me. And just being sort of like intimidating, yeah. really. I mean, Saccharine Trust lyrics and Jack Brewer, like what, you know? It's heavy stuff. I mean, I felt that at different times in my life. You know, like, you know, these people are are artists, or these people are, you know, insane or something. I'll never be that insane and <laughs> that much of an artist. How did you guys get hooked up with Bob Mold and Spot and Butch Vig on those those early recordings? Well. um, Butch is, you know, maybe not from Madison, but lived in Madison already. He's from Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And he had a studio. And we had recorded once. We heard about Smart. Uh, We knew that uh, he was a drummer in a band called Spooner here. And so that's how, I mean, when you started, when Smart first started, Butch and Steve Marker were the only engineers. And it just probably depended on who was um, who was around, right? And uh, Husker Du, I don't know whether Robin got a hold of Husker Du or they got a hold of him, but uh, they played in Madison in '81. So I think we just asked Bob because we knew that he could engineer, and he, you know, he drove from Minneapolis to Madison just to do it, you know, for beer and accommodations and well wow. so that was actually we did have uh butch vig and bob mold shoulder to shoulder and that was um the uh, four of the songs on respect your nightmares right the, the clean ones the the tipping point over into the um you know going stealing more from the minutemen than from black flag <laughs> right and then how about spot were you were you eager to to record with Spot just because of, you know, his association with SST? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we 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 could have put out a record with uh, Homestead oh. practically a year before the ball got rolling for fried milk. And we just wanted to have that logo on our record. I mean, I guess the name for it is Fanboy <laughs> in the modern vernacular. Maybe it's old vernacular, but but we we just idolized uh, those those early bands. I have to say, yeah. And so we were excited to if there was a possibility to to do it. And Robin had I suppose been sending some letters that hadn't been going anywhere. And then um, we played with Dawn and Sonic Youth in probably in 1986 somewhere, and. I gave Greg a record and had some conversation with him and then gone played in Madison a little bit later Mm -hmm. and I went to the show and then talked to him about it more and he said, why don't you come to IHOP with us after the show? So we did that and I got like a job interview from Greg Ginn. (laughs) And then the next day, uh, Chuck Dukowski called Robin. Robin called me up all surprised. I was like, no dude, you were doing it wrong the whole time. (laughs) Got to press the flesh. Yeah. At this point, was Jeremy out of the band already? Yeah. Yeah, Jeremy was the 
the Swiss LSD dealer, a younger brother of Robin, who just, the first Tar Baby songs, I couldn't sing them and play them at the same time. Uh. I hadn't learned to do that yet. So Jeremy became our singer. And in 19, I guess it must have been the spring of 1985 or 84, uh, when we were recording the latter tracks for Respect Your Nightmares, the one that Bob engineered and um and jeremy just did it's you know very classic spinal tap sort of thing i mean not really but he we didn't know he wasn't going to sing on the song he just didn't show up and then said later that he didn't want to so so that's why robin dan and i sang on the songs okay you're doing a lot of the songwriting on this this record what was that process like are you writing by yourself and then taking stuff to the band? Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, t- it's sort of typical, like, I, I guess, yeah, I, I sit and play by myself and, you know, hone riffs. If a riff sounds like a part of a song, then I'll just play it over and over again until something else grows out of it. You know, for the most part, it, it's a pretty painstaking process for me still is you know and then like robin wasn't a very experienced bass player when he started he really started also playing bass with the band pretty much right so i would write bass lines dan is such a well you know it's i would bring songs and then they would become what they would become after we rehearsed them a few times yeah you know dan is a a very creative person and and he was already really tasty on the drums at mm-hmm. that point and so he had a lot to do with shaping the way the song sounded and how do you decide who sings what song well that that was just dan wrote the lyrics to he he wrote a few lyrics for the band over the course of time and robin wrote a few songs okay and Steve Lewis wrote a few songs who replaced Robin eventually. Right. Um, and in the first DP, I sang, but I overdubbed the vocals. And uh, I couldn't do it live. Gotcha. Uh, for the first half of that, both those EPs are split recording sessions. And then uh, Jeremy took over. And um, I think Robin wrote the lyrics to the song that he sang, too, on okay. Respect to Nightmares. So... Yeah, that was easy. But then after that, Robin sings a couple songs on Fried Milk. He he wrote the lyrics to, and Dan sings a song that he wrote the lyrics to that he sang over my tune. Gotcha. So that's the total breakdown. All right, what's the what is the single off of this record? What were your big songs that people that you always played? Um. Uh, well, Vices is the opener of the second side and and that is kind of a uh it was sort of written in a in a form of a you know a rock and roll r&b mm-hmm. song in fact i was going to try to do a special show where we did some motown covers or something like that and then wrote some songs that were just like okay we're going to write a song that's like one of these 60s songs 
So it's kind of a novelty song yeah. in a way, and it, it even has the the chorus is exactly the same as Beast of Burden. Uh-huh. But it's it's a song that anybody could like. So it it was good live. But I don't you know I don't know how much that album got played on college radio back then or what people would have played. I mean, the lead-off song on the other side is one of Robin's songs, and it's more salt, and that also was another really you know, heavy live tune right. player, one that uh, brought up the, the excitement level right. for the crowd. Did you tour after this came out? Yeah. We recorded Fried Milk in the spring of 87, and then it came out in the summer and we toured in the fall. And during the summer we had picked up a tenor sax player, Tony Jarvis of Madison guy. And we were playing shows locally with him and having a really great time. He really gelled. And so he went on tour with us, basically wrote another album's worth of stuff. I forgot about Tony's contributions because Ian Robbins on no contest. And Tony had two songs that were like six minutes long. But the poor planning of this was that Tony took a job in Milwaukee playing with a full-time R&B band. And we had to go out and tour on the saxophone music oh, yeah. in no contest without, like as a three-piece without sax. Oh. And I had to try to play the sax lines, you know, occasionally on the guitar. Right. I'm sure the shows weren't that bad, but they always were kind of trying for me. Any standout shows you played? Like any, you know, did you play with other SST bands? Yeah. Um, I bet we Fire were, Hose would have been a good match for Tar Babies. Yeah, we played with Fire Hose in Europe uh, several dates, not like, you know, more than three or four. Um, and we played with Firehose in Los Angeles and played Firehose in Madison. Yeah, we got to do an encore with those guys, uh, with me playing bass and Dan jumping around with a microphone. And it, it was really cool, but somehow I couldn't play his bass. Watch it was very bass. weird. I was playing something, but it, uh, something was very bizarre because I can, you know, I, I can play bass, mm -hmm. but uh, it didn't matter. In fact, people were, uh, they were chanting for more Tar Babies, I have to be honest. Oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and we uh, we played shows with uh, Universal Congress of, oh, yeah. in a, a different year over, over in Europe, like in Germany and Netherlands. And we would play together after their set. I think we usually played in front open for them but they Joe Biza and their sax player came out and play uh, we played Cross-Eyed Cross-Eyed Cat which is a Muddy Water song and I played James uh, James Bud Almer tune that I had never even heard before with them so yeah that, that was really fun I mean mm -hmm. you know peak live you know performing uh, experiences across time and uh you know, really, really, really awful ones too. So. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I'm sure that everybody, you know, whatever they do, 
what do they like to do? They get in the zone every once in a while. I remember playing house burning down Jimi Hendrix at this little club in Hamburg called the uh, Meter Knot. Mm-hmm. And the stage was from the, the um, this Cavern Club or what, Star Club. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because the Star Club burned down and the guy put this little piece of the stage in his tiny club. But house burning down was really on that night. And it kind of felt like the room was sort of breathing and, uh, you know, people were just into it. There, the appropriate number of drunks were falling around on the floor in front of the little stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the club owner was super nice. And so, yeah, I've, I mean, I've had lots of good times. I still play, um, you know, I have a band called Negative Example, but we just play locally and right. I still write songs. I, you know, I like to write songs and I like to record them so I can listen to them when I drive around. You're still doing uh, Negative Example? It's still going? Yeah, we're, um, we're on a hiatus right now, but that's, who cares? I mean... Do you think we'll get more we, tone scientists? Oh, I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm waiting for Mike Watt to call me. I don't want to seem too over-eager. <laughs> We we were going to we were going to record again, and I he had an idea of doing a ten inch vinyl record with four songs, mm-hmm. but um, he's been on the road with the second man, and he was playing bass with Flipper. Right. So I just figure, I mean, five. If we did it, I would want to go out there and stay in a hotel in San Pedro and do it all in one twenty four hour session and then fly home what do you know about the cover art done by ron taylor do you know how it was produced i think face of music is a little different but respect your nightmares and fried milk are just airbrushed okay he i don't know much about the process but knowing ron taylor and and having his art be part of how you know him and everything he's just a really interesting man you know uh African-American guy from, I think, rural Georgia, mm-hmm. who ended up at the art department in uh, Madison. And and he was one of the people that we met back in 1980-81 through, like I said, all these older college students who were, you know, pretty hip. Mm-hmm. And he moved to Brooklyn, you know, bef- before we even put out our first record or maybe shortly after but he he would send us originals in a canister for us to choose from oh wow he was extremely generous and never took any money for any of it wow on the back of this record you thank tim and beth kerr i'm i'm assuming that's tim from the uh, big boys and poison 13 yeah because we stayed at his house Uh. while we were recording fried milk that album was recorded. There was a two-year gap between Respect Your Nightmares and Fried Milk, and I suppose that that was, you know, a, a lot happened in terms of just collecting songs. We had 19 songs. Uh, that would be nothing for the Minutemen or Black Flag, I guess. Yeah. But we had a, a lot of material stacked up, and part of it was recorded in 
Madison at Smart as well. There's like four tunes that weren't recorded down in Austin. Mm-hmm. And are those but, the, um, those are the ones done by Spot? I'm assuming. Yeah. 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 So back to what you you asked about before. I mean, Robin had met Spot. Robin was a roadie for Husker Du oh, in okay. 1981, 82, uh, because those guys really got along. And you know, Robin they they brought us, they booked us in Minneapolis and and we booked them in Madison. So Robin had a connection to him, but I mean, we still, I mean, it's, it sounds a little, <clears throat> a little ridiculous, but since the opportunity was there, we might as well record with the same guy who, who, you know, engineered Jealous Again. Right. Or, you know, uh, Paranoid Time. You know, let's do it just for the, for the fun of it. Like, uh, but, you know, I guess... I also had an expectation that he he would actually um, that our record would sound good. I think it does. Uh, it does, yeah. And I mean, like you said, you you know, obviously you were fans of the label and the bands. You want that SST logo on the back of your record. It, you might as well go all in and and have the name Spot on there too. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think I think even though I say that the Me Puppets and uh, Minutemen and the Rolling Stones uh, and Hendrix, you know, all inform my playing. I think even by then uh, that I, I mean, there was some cool stuff that I've got like in our old press kit about, you know, that were allusions to Kirk Kirkwood and, you know, hummingbirds being trapped in a shoebox or something. And, um, but I think that just because we wanted to record with Spot and be on SST didn't mean that we were trying to be somebody other than we weren't. Well, I mean, a lot of the bands we've been talking about lately on our podcast, like Painted Willie, for example, they definitely sound like they should be on SST, but they also have their own sound. And and you guys do too. I think that Fried Milk... I mean, that was a great year for SST because they they made a, uh, it was called an in-store Godhead cassette sampler or something. Right. And, you know, Sister came out that year and You're Living All Over Me and Soundgarden, Screaming Trees, um, you know, Zoog's Rift was on there, but there, Tex and the Horseheads maybe, Opal, but that, that cassette was really pretty awesome we were on it and strangely he put two instrumental tracks Hmm. Uh, i don't know if we had three instrumental tracks on fried milk but and but by like 89 you know 90 i mean we were ssd 101 i don't know how many records they put out before they really you know just stopped putting out new records but it it got a little weird, and I don't mean to disparage any of the bands that came out in 1989 uh, or 1990, but it seemed to have got a little bit diluted with, I don't know, it was hard to figure what was happening there. Yeah, and I, I didn't know. I mean, we, we eventually sold about 10,000 copies, roughly, of each of those titles. Honey oh. Bubble was always ahead of the pack, but it all kind of you know, evened out from what I remember, like the last royalties and mechanicals. Yeah. 
letter I got. Um, Those are really respectable know, numbers for an independent band. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, we, we, we still, uh, you know, even on our last tours, even in 89, when we were had risen to number 11, like Honey Bubble had risen to number 11 on the CMJ chart, mm-hmm. we still would play in towns and only get like 12 people. Right. Which is discouraging. Yeah. But uh, we were already together for five years before we put out our first full-length record, which was Fried Milk. You know, people who like the Tar Babies talk to me about it. You know, strangers that pass my way. They're, like, really into the Tar Babies. Yeah. Like, I, I, see, I can envision what I wish the Tar Babies were. I mean, not to say I don't love the the music but i don't have a same perspective i love when somebody loves the tar babies the way i love you know um led zeppelin or something right i don't know if we have the same weight in anybody as led zeppelin does in anybody else but uh you know what i mean yeah, I know uh, but mean. it's still a rare bird it's still a you know a select group of people it's, it seems like you know but it still comes up. The music you made still still grabs people. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just with, with Facebook and, you know, everything else. And, you know, I've had people come out of the woodwork just sporadically. Like somebody will send me a, a tape of the Tar Babies at the Continental Club in 1986 or 85 in, you know, in Austin. Even at the time, if what we were doing really connected with a large room of people all the time, and we 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 uh, we developed a following in the region here, cultivated a following. Uh, but yeah, when we would travel, you know, interstate, it was always very hit and miss. Yeah. So I think there was some something about the Tar Babies that tricks up the ears of, uh, you know, people who are a little bit more into music on another level, not to, you know, sound. It's definitely, a, it's definitely a notion we've heard from other bands too. Like Dos Dahlman comes to mind, you know, they had pockets where they had really strong support, you know, others where they didn't. And I think that's just true for any band even today, but back then, especially. Do you still listen to these records? Like, or has Which it been records? years? Uh, the Tar Baby stuff. Do you revisit it at all? Yeah, well, I do. I mean, like, and with the the music that I've been making in the last five years or so, I mean, when I I've only done two recording sessions of a couple batches of songs with my band Negative Example, which you can listen to on Bandcamp. Yep. Um, but I listen to that stuff like a hundred times, you know, just after I've recorded it and mixed it, I just can't get enough. And I don't listen to the Tar Babies unless I'm in the mood. Some of it makes me cringe a little bit, but, uh, but in, in the, in the whole, uh, I'm pretty proud of all of it. I remember Jello Biafra saying that our, our first four recordings, we, it was pre smart at a guy's basement in Mm -hmm. Madison who was, you know, he's 
he charged us to record there. He was like a hippie and he had a recording studio in his basement. I don't know how we heard of him. But Jello was bummed that we separated them on the Face to Music record. We separated them because we thought, oh God, these songs all sound just the same. Right. But Jello thought they were the best hardcore songs. <laughs> never been. Um, and so I'm proud of that stuff. I'm proud of the Respect Your Nightmare stuff. I uh, I think they all have a very very much of a um, depth to them, you know, fried milk. And by the way, I, Spot did add a very it's a very more high end uh, sort of record than any of the other ones we made. I think there was a spotness that is definitely present in fried milk. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really bright and aggressive sounding you know all yeah. of the records especially death trip which is uh is a shame because that's a another story but it came out posthumously we broke up because we couldn't find a label for it we didn't mm-hmm. want to put it on ssp because we didn't think SSP, you know greg really was taking us too seriously okay and um ended up going around in circles for but that record is my favorite by far. We, I own it, so we should just put it up on SoundCloud or something. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm kind of going on. No, no, it's I do okay. love listening to my music because um, I know every bit of what went into crafting it. I suppose I know where it's coming from. Yeah. It's just not. I I would actually have loved to have made a song that became an imprinted even wide more widely in the culture. Like I think to be one of those guys who was in a band that did a, a Wooly Bully right. or something. Well, Sam and Sham, you know, they were something, but even more obscure. But your song got in rotation back when radio stations played stuff. That would be pretty cool, but the Tar Babies is not that. Well, you definitely had an impact on on people that love the Tar Babies, so uh, and you had records out on SST Records, which is an achievement. You know what I want out of it though is uh, more. I, I don't think I get enough cred locally. Oh, not only were we trailblazers, uh, but yes, we had we traveled internationally. We put our records on SST. I can't, you know, I can't get any respect. <laughs> I feel like, you know, people should be bending over backwards to like have a negative example play on their bills and stuff. But, yeah, well, you know, they ghost me on Facebook. Well, what's the ex- expression? The pioneers always get the arrows. Huh, yeah, <laughs> I have not heard that one, but it seems useful. Well, Bucky, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. We'll be looking out for uh, the return of Negative Example, um, if that happens. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it it, it will. I have a bunch of unrecorded songs um, right now, and it'll they'll be back up on Bandcamp. You know, i got to tell you, you may not know this, but when I made the first Negative Example CD, it was like a 10-song CD, like an album, Mm-hmm. And we threw it up on Bandcamp, and um, I made about a hundred copies of it. You know, had a 
a printing company make decent looking sleeves. And then it got reviewed in the New York Times. Oh, wow. Look it up. Ben Rat, Ratliff. Ratliff. Okay. I think he's one of the uh, editors of the entertainment section there. But uh, yeah, there's a dude who liked the Tar Babies because the review is mostly about the Tar Babies. It's, it's, it's a short thing. It's a sidebar that has like five albums reviewed. Okay. In it, and ours is one. But he says some very nice stuff about the Tar Babies, about my guitar playing. I am one of the great non-virtuistic guitarists of my time. That's a quote from it. Oh, wow. So um, I figure, you know, if you're one of the great non-virtuistic guitar players, there's a lot more non-virtuistic guitar players than virtuosos. It's true. So... I'm on top of a much bigger <laughs> pile. So anyway, I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, that's great. Um, uh, take care. Yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Okay, take care, man. All right. Thanks, Bucky. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. Here's a few things I pulled out from the interview that I liked. I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing this their next album, No Contest, because it has a sax player. We only have to wait 68 episodes, but... (laughs) (laughs) You've probably heard it. I have not. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely have. But it's been a while. It's been a while since I've listened to this stuff. That's, I mean, I don't know. Like I said on the last episode, I know we would do this show if no one listened, because it's such a great excuse to revisit and discover stuff. Love it. Yeah cool that he figures they've sold around 10,000 copies of each of these releases. Just tons of cool info in there. I love the part where he's talking about hearing the Stones album Hot Rocks and kind of having an epiphany, you know? Yeah, that is interesting. He mentions the Godhead Studor, store dude in store. I got it right here. Yeah. I don't know if we've talked, I don't know if we've talked about those. Yeah. It was the uh, SST Godhead Store Dude in-store play device number three for the North Americas that this record was sampled on, this cassette. Hmm. The uh, the songs Karma Soldier, Sound and Color, and Love Epidemic were put onto this sample cassette with tracks from Sonic Youth's Sister, samples from Glenn Phillips, Lawndale, Zoog's Rift, Elliot Sharp, Lee Ronaldo, Opal, Dinosaur Jr., Screaming Trees, St. Vitus, Blood on the Saddle, Slovenly, Leaving Trains. So would have been quite the the sampler tape back then, and Tar Babies were right in there. It has inside on the J card, it says, Contact the Distributors for All SST Releases, and it's got all these stores from all over the place. What would you guess is the only, sorry, there's two Canadian ones on mm-hmm. this list of about 25 record stores in North America to contact for SST records. And so, and think back, this is like 1987, not Sam the Record Man or Records on Wheels? No, no. Record Peddler. Record Peddler, yeah. 
Yeah, right? The one that did uh, Fringe Records. Right. Yeah. Okay. So one of our listeners, Ken De La Cruz, sent in a whole bunch of, just like a treasure trove of zine stuff. Remember we put out a call a yeah. couple weeks ago for zine stuff? He sent me some whole bunch of reviews from uh, this zine called Chemical Imbalance. This oh, is, yeah, of course. The, the, yeah, this is from the spring 1988 issue of Chemical Imbalance. There's a bunch of reviews attached to this press kit too, but this is the this is the favorite review, my favorite review review that I read. Uh, it's by Mike McGonigal. Check this out. About four or five years ago, a great chasm, a vortex to another world, if you will, opened up and swallowed three young boys. Needless to say, the intense radiation that bombarded their cells changed their lives forever. It made them quite, well, different, but not too different. Sometime later, once they had matured into young men, the three returned to their place of origin, jumped back into the holy mud puddle, and were further transformed by bombarding radiation and kryptonite, and their collective harmonic consciousnesses converged with those of past kindred souls, adding much to their knowledge of the bad and ugly. And here... In the belly of creation, the three men known as the Tar Babies recorded what was to become fried milk through the white hot sludge of the earth's crust. Shunned by mortals and gods alike, they wander the earth alone, sole keepers of the holy magma rock. Fried milk engineered by Spot and produced by Jack Kirby. To miss out on this is to miss out on one of life's basic joys. Whoa. Who wrote that one again? Uh, that's by Mike McGonigal. McGonigal, right. Nice one. Okay, here's another good one. This is from Forced Exposure, magazine number nine, winter 1986. I'm going to read this to you and see if you can guess who wrote it. I shouldn't have told you what magazine it was from, but... <laughs> <laughs> the first line's a giveaway. My favorite retardo sludge funk band from the Midwest, all right. There's something peculiarly hellish about the Tar Baby's songs that places them smack in the vortex created by the crossbreeding of the butthole surfers, Dicruzen, Funkadelics, and Throbbing Gristle. They are yeah. the band of hoodlum street urchins with rocks in their snowballs and blood on their knee pants. They want to have they want to have fun at your expense. They make sonic soup so dense it has to be sliced for consumption. Bib overalls on the shape from Friday the 13th. Fetch me my knife. That's it. Am I supposed to guess now? Yeah, you're, you're supposed to guess now. Is it Byron Coley? No, Steve Albini. Oh, dang it. <laughs> Good guess, Wait though. a second, though. Wait a second. Did that review and the one you read before it by McGonagall both use the word vortex? Yes, it did, yep. Oh, Okay. Yep. Interesting that that came to mind in two different locations for this record. Yeah. Here's one from a magazine called The Daily Cardinal. I don't know what this is. It looks like maybe a, a, a Madison newspaper. There is no doubt that the Tar Babies are one of Madison's finest and most innovative bands. They play hard, raunchy rock, often with a funky beat. The energy in their shows has gotten them praise all over the country. The mystery is, why do they play in half-empty clubs here at home? 
Well, in a town where people wait in line to see Timbuk3, a lot more is said about the audience than the quality of the band. Melba toast for music will always be the rule for big crowds around here. Some of these are just too good not to read. Here's one more. I don't know what this is from. It's, it's on their bio that Bucky sent me, but it doesn't say where it came from. Seven years down the line, and the Tar Babies remain one of this nation's great ignored collectives. Non-dork, angular spaz rocket that touches dangerously close to the ground. I never want to touch, but somehow manages to remain free. Groove action unlike any other, and as you may have guessed, I can be seriously anti-groove. I only wish Mr. Buckley Pope would drop the hammer once in a while, a la the old, we are the new poor. But he doesn't, and it's no reason to cry. Here's one, one more by a guy named Fred Mills. Definitely a contender for the Madison, Wisconsin, king of the slag heap. The babies utilize that Minutemen penchant for taking clean, complex riffs and chipping them down into bite-sized morsels. All the while, a kinetic, almost funky series of staccato rhythms compels the feet and hips to move. Sometimes they tread too close to Mahavishnu Orchestra territory, but they cleverly disguise it with a higher energy level. On others, they begin to resemble the dead milkman, and truthfully, the vocals are awful, but there's something about them that gets under the skin. 100%. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't say Bucky's vocals are awful. That's that's pretty unfair, but it is like they have got this obnoxious rhythmic quality to them that are very catchy. Yeah. Let's uh do you want to go through the tracks? Yeah, man. History Lesson, Part 2. Brent, this record has got 19 tracks. so It's 42 minutes long, the whole album. It seemed like really long to me, but it might just be because of the number of songs. Yeah, 19 is a lot. Like I, yeah. I was like, wow. Probably the most songs we've had on a single release is probably Double Nickels on the Dime, right? 42, yeah. 43 songs. Mm-hmm. They're so much shorter than these songs, though. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how much. I was kind of thinking we could be pretty efficient going through the tracks. Sure. Since there's so many of them. Sure. So, side one starts off with More Salt, which is a funky number and definitely sets the tone for the record for sure. This one's written by Davies and Pope, so I'm thinking maybe Robin sings this one. You know what? The vocal guessing job is all yours, man. It's hard to tell, but I love the <laughs> lyrics. This I kept singing this one to myself all week. The the kind of rapid fire, almost rapped lyrics, like where they're going, burn, burn, you're in the hot seat. Your ass is on the line. You're a Tylenol freak. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, yeah. it's kind of... the. It is almost like rapping some of the vocals. They're very rhythmic. They're definitely not that melodic there's a couple of times where it almost sounds like beastie boys kind of rapping but it's all funky the whole time for sure i couldn't put my finger on it but i kept thinking of alice donut when i heard this song too yeah oh yeah i can see that um track number two is my spiritual forklift this one i love the guitar tone on it and the bass playing's killer too yep that one's written by bucky Uh, The next one is Clenched Fist, which is a bit of a slower jam, and there's some serious 
bass popping up in the mix on this one too. Yep. And I can definitely hear the Hendrix influence in the guitar yes. playing on this one. Yes. Interesting though, like Bucky mentioned it in the interview and so did, you know, some of the quotes we were reading earlier, but like there is nary a solo on this record. Like yeah. very, very uh, seldom do you hear Bucky kind of go on his out on his own. He definitely had a unique voice on guitar, even though there are people who, when they're speaking about the Tar Babies, you know, definitely reference some bands who were known for the soloing, like Jimi Hendrix, for example. Yeah, or the Minutemen. Or the Minutemen, for sure. Yeah. Uh, the next track is Swing Set, kind of a driving beat. Great guitar tone again for me. I, you know, I've never really picked up on guitar tone before on a record that we went through on the show, like this record for some reason. I don't know what it was. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, the tone, I mean. And I liked the song. This was one I had picked out as one, as one that I really liked. Written by uh, Davies and Pope. It's a just a cool punk rocker. I like the way they sing together. Yeah, me too. Bratty. Bratty vocals is what I wrote down here. Yep. Uh, Loose Convictions is the next one. A mid-tempo jam. Fits right in to side one for sure. That one's a Bucky Pope solo, yep. right? So is the next one, Karma Soldier. Just a little one-minute instro. Yeah, and this is the one that's on the uh, the SST sampler tape. Okay. For some, for some strange reason. But I get it. I know making comp tapes, you put on a little weird instro interlude, right? Yep now and then for sure uh the next track is pig relevance this one to me uh, and i mean a lot of the uh the stuff that i was reading up on tar babies they do mention tar babies in the same breath as red hot chili peppers <laughs> joe joe carducci did it this one definitely reminds me of really chili peppers for some reason it really stuck out that way for me in a good way though it's the exact same thing i had in my notes i i wrote red hot chili peppers had already released their self-titled album and Freaky Styly by this point, and Uplift Mofo Party Plan came out the same year as this album. So, Yeah, it's hard not to make the connection there. Yep. Uh, the next track is Sound and Color, which is a bit of a, a rambler, a bit of a rambly track for me. Yeah. Uh, this one is a co-write between Dan Bittany and Bucky Pope. This is one of the ones that was recorded by Steve Marker at Smart Studios. There's three tracks on here that were not recorded by Spot, and this is one of them. They all fit in, though. Like, they don't really yeah. stick out. No. No. The only way I even knew that is from the liner notes to the album. Do you have the liner notes for this record? It's on the back of the LP. If you look down underneath the lyrics. Oh, yeah. All tracks engineered by Spot except tracks 8, 14, and 17. Shoot. Okay. We should talk about that for a minute. Like, Spot, the Spotinator. Remember way back... Speaking of Joe Carducci, he told us at one point, we are not done with the Spotinator. Yeah, this might be the last one. It might be. It's <laughs> like he had moved to Austin, you know, the year prior, I believe, in 1986. I don't know what the last one before this is where we heard from Spot, but it seems like it's been a while. Oh, yeah. Maybe like slovenly or something. I don't even know. Or angst, but... It's cool that they totally just wanted wanted that SST sound. They were such fans of, of the label and those bands, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they wanted the full SST treatment. Very cool. Yeah. And it sounds uh, good. Oh, yeah. 
Next track is No Light Ever. For me, this might actually be the catchiest track so far on side one. Yeah, I had it picked out as, as another one that I really liked, written by Bucky. Cool bass playing and really good tone. Uh, and as you mentioned, I, I wrote that I really liked the chorus on this one. Yeah, it's a catchy tune for sure. Yeah. And then side one closes out with On the Phone with Pepsodent, which yeah. is another funky tune. Yeah, written by Dan Bitney and Robin Davies, the, the only one that they wrote together. So not sure who does the vocals on this one. It's got some Watt-style finger-popping. Really cool. Yep. Flip her over, and the first track on side B is Love Epidemic, which is interesting. It's got vibes and piano on it. Yeah, I picked that out too, but I don't see anything in the credits for that. No. It's really cool, nope. jazzy instrumental written by all three of the three of the guys which leads me to believe they wrote it you know jamming together bit of a jam and you know maybe the studio just had some vibes in a piano sitting around and they're like why not right yeah they probably even wrote this in the studio you know yeah uh track number two is vices which is funky but it's the one that stuck out for me as being maybe like the most Motown-esque. Remember Bucky was talking about that? Yeah. This is the song that's got all I need, baby. You know that? It's the that. it's the the Beast of Bur Burden ripoff. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely the hit. Uh, it almost reminds me of something that Greg Cartwright might do in one of his bands. Oh, yeah. I could see that for sure. In the raining sound, maybe. Yep. Yeah, or maybe actually Compulsive Gamblers more than Raining Sound. Yeah, it's it's a cool song. Track number three is Ceiling Skies, which is kind of a slow, trotting funk jam. This one is just drenched in Jimi Hendrix chords. Yeah. Did you, when you were talking with Bucky, did you find out what he plays? Like, is it for sure a Strat? Uh, I've seen some pictures and he definitely did play a Strat at, at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he played it throughout their entire career or not, but. Yeah. I got to think that's what it is. Okay. Um, fourth track is Set Me Up, which for me has got a very cool, different guitar tone coming out in this song. And there's a bit of like a, the vocals, we've mentioned this already before, but they kind of have like a rap chant vocals, not tuneful vocals at all, but really rhythmic. And this one actually has a cool solo in it, this yeah. song. Yeah. I wrote, I really like the guitar tone. I love the big power chords yes. uh, in the verses. This one was recorded at Smart by Steve Marker. The drumming is just awesome in this song. Uh, yep. It's got a really cool psychedelic middle section with some kind of trippy overdubs going on. Yep, this was sure. This was a favorite for me. Me too, yeah. 100%. Next up is... Blood Sugar, another instro. Yeah, it's just a minute long. And then it goes into Styrofoam, which has some acoustic guitar and upright bass in it. Yeah, the upright bassist is a guy named Brian Beattie. You should go to his website, brianbeattie.com, and check out his production credits. He has worked with everybody. Uh, he was in an Austin kind of art rock band called Glass Eye. Have you ever heard of them? No. 
they had a bunch of releases on Bar None Records and Restless. I only know one of them. It's called Bent by Nature. It's good. It's worth checking out. I don't know any of their other albums. Uh, he played, uh, Brian Beatty played in an early version of the band Fang. Like, I think he was like a founding member of, of Fang. Oh, I like Fang. Yeah. He produced all of my favorite Dead Milkman albums and played on some of them. He played on Bucky Fellini. He produced Bezel Bubba and Metaphysical Graffiti. He produced a bunch of Daniel Johnston records. He's produced everyone from like Ed Hall to Ockerville River, Rocky Erickson, and he plays on this track. I'm That's assuming cool. I didn't know I'm, that. he probably knew Spot or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, good digging on that one, man. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, gold star. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, all right, then we go into Flower Power, which is a kind of a lumbering jam. Kind of fits near the end of side two. Works okay there. Yep, one of the, this is the, the last of the three tracks that were recorded by Steve Marker and not Spot. And then uh, the second last track is Storms Over, which to me kind of sounded like later era Minutemen elements in there. Yep, it's instrumental. Like three, yeah, three-way tie kind of sounding. And then the, uh, the album closes out with Paradise Shines, which is like a grinding punker jam for me. Yeah. We did talk about the artwork in the interview. Yeah, airbrush, hey? Yep, it's cool. I like it. It works. Oh, it definitely suits the music, like psychedelic and funky. Yeah. This is not that many steps removed from like uh, a Funkadelic or a Parliament album cover. It's true. All the lyrics on the on the back of the LP, in kind of an annoying way, not as annoying as Raging Full On, but really hard to read. <laughs> yeah. Can you, you notice how... Uh, when you look at like the left margin of the lyrics down there, you can see where they cut the two pieces of paper and didn't really <laughs> set them up right. Yeah, right after the word fallen and yeah. your sad courage. Yep. Yeah, they must have kind of slipped when they were working the Elmer's glue jug there. This looks like something Mike Watt typed up on his typewriter. Yeah, he was using the fire hose typewriter. <laughs> um, then it has the credits, and we've kind of spoken about all of them already. Back cover kind of... Uh, continues on with the same theme my copy of this is is like a radio station copy so mm. it has a bottom corner cut out and it's got like they used to take like a push pin and scratch the call letters into the front and back of the jacket lame yeah it's pretty lame but you know i get it and then and then also my the label has got the call letters on there too C H R Y. I think it's from I think it's from Ontario actually. There's some cool doodles on the LP labels. Oh yeah. What All about De what about Dead Wax, Ryan? Yeah, it's there, but you've got your brand spanking new copy of this. You should read it. Okay, hold on. I haven't had you read any Dead Wax for a while. Okay. You can do it. Put on your monocle. Well, I was just checking to see if it was mastered by John Golden. <laughs> Spot is the king of the dead wax, so I'm 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 hoping for something good here. Andrea Lloyd free throwing. That's side A. Yeah. Side B. No JG, so they did not get 
oh, it's mastered at K-Disc. I'm wondering if they got the full SST treatment. I don't know. Dude, you got to read the front and the back wax kind of like a sentence. Come on. Okay, side B in Joe. No, 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 no. Hang on, hang on. Start over with side A, then go to B. You got to read them in like a sentence. I'll try. Yeah. Jeez. Andrea Lloyd free throwing in Joan of Arc's home court. There you go, man. <laughs> oh, it, it all makes it. sense now. <laughs> yeah, it was worth it. Yeah. Told you. Ballot result? Ballot result. Ballot result. All right, I'm going to jump in right now and say I would go with Set Me Up. We both like that one, but it's the one that's when I was uh, listening to this record this week, it was the one where I was doing uh, air guitar too, for sure. In my list, I put one star beside more salt, swing set, no light ever, on the phone, vices, and two stars behind set me up. It's the only that one that got two stars. That sounds like a done deal to me, my done friend. Done deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks again, Bucky. Um, we really, we really enjoy this album. Can't wait to get into some more Tar Babies. What a great listen. Big time. Yeah. Ryan, what's next week? Whoa. Next week is going to be a mind blower because it's a, a compilation. We haven't had one for a while. It's SST 102 the No Age compilation. It's four sides of SST instrumental music, and it is full of people we have not seen before. Wow, so, Zowie. Yeah, literally. It's going to be a great, great record to get into because, like, there's just I hope, there's so man. much there. What if we hate it? What if it's like, oh, God, this is like our entire 2020 right here? Have you never listened to this? <laughs> yeah, I've listened to it, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it has some very redeeming qualities on it. Yeah, I'm just making a making a funny. Oh, okay. Yeah, no. I mean, it's got some very, very talented people on it and some rewarding tunes, so looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Bucky, and thanks for listening, everybody. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at MoJackPod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.